we have a special guest today, uh, Kevin McCormick, who was uh, pastor at Calvary Chapel Rochester for 25 years. He was the principal of their school. Uh, he was actually Leah's uh, Sunday school teacher when she was a little girl, too. He's been around for a long time. He's also my uncle. Uh, we're excited to have him. Uh, he's filling in today, so we're excited to see uh, and hear what he has to say. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you filling in. He could have just said, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, uh, those of you who don't know me are probably wondering, what is he doing up there? And those of you who do know me are really wondering, what is he doing up there? Um, Harley asked me to fill in. They had a long week preparing for the wedding yesterday. And, you know, this morning I was thinking that yesterday when I watched Harley walk Anna up the aisle, I remember the first time I met Harley. He was about three years old. And Janice and Harley came to our apartment in the city, and Harley was having a bad day. And he was underneath the kitchen table crying, and he wouldn't come out, having a t little temper tantrum. And I reached in to grab him, to take him out from under the table, and he bit me. <laughs> I think I still have the mark. So, but, so today, just... You know, if you're on the prayer chain, you see that there's a lot of stuff going on in the fellowship. A lot of people are having trials and tribulations. There's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of hospitalizations. People are dealing with a lot of stuff. So this morning I thought, Lord willing, I'd talk about when storms come into our lives. Because there's a lot of people we know that are dealing with many different things. So, Lord willing, I'd like to talk about, will it happen? You know, there's an old saying that says, a little rain must fall on each life. And is that, is that true? Are, you know, is it inevitable that things happen in our lives that are, are traumatic? So will it happen? And then also talk about why does it happen? Why do these things happen? Well, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to this person over here? And also, how do we prepare for the storms that are coming? Can we prepare for the storms that are coming? And if they do come, how do we deal with them? Um, and the most obvious example of going through trials outside of Jesus is probably Job in the Bible. And in Job chapter 1, Job lost his whole livelihood. He was rich. He had a lot of cattle. He had a good family. He had servants. And then one day, somebody, one of his servants ran up to him and said, raiders came in and stole all your cattle, and they killed all your servants. He literally lost everything that he had. He lost his whole livelihood. And in Job 1, verse 18, it says, While he was still speaking, another came, also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. It says, Then Job arose, tore his robe in grief, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. And that was Satan's goal, was to make Job sin, to get Job to a place where he would shake his fist at God in anger for all the things that had happened to him, and to accuse God of doing wrong. That was his aim. And then 
but taking away all he had didn't work, didn't bring Job to that place. Even taking away his children didn't bring him to that place. But Satan's last ploy, the, his, his trump card for Job to try to get him to that place was he struck his health. And Job 2.9 says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still fa hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. By the way, that is bad advice. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. There was a man who lived in the 1800s whose name was Horatio Spafford, and he was a very successful lawyer in Chicago. He was very wealthy, and he invested a lot in the city. He and his family were planning on going to Europe to help with D.L. Moody's evangelistic crusade. He had to take care of business, so he sent his family ahead of him. And as they were crossing the ocean, the ship that his wife and his daughters were on struck another ship and sank. His four daughters perished. He received news that the ship had sunk, and then later on he received news that his four daughters had died and gone down with the ship. And so he immediately started crossing the ocean to be with his wife, who was grieving. And when they got to the spot where the ship went down and his daughters perished, he sat down and wrote these words. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, nor in death as in life. For in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. Job wrote in chapter 3, verse 25, The thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. And there's a lot of people who are going through that right now in this fellowship and in our families, people we know. The thing, and Job says, the thing that I feared the most, the thing that I dreaded has happened to me, has actually come. The things he dreaded, maybe he was, saw these things afflicting other people's lives and he thought, maybe, I wonder if that's going to happen to me. And then he, the thing he dreaded happened. Things he didn't even want to think about. The Apostle Paul went through a lot of afflictions, persecutions, hardships in ministry, physical affliction, emotional affliction, and he ended his life by being executed. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. And sometimes we can get that way. We can feel we're burdened beyond measure and despair even of life, depending on what we're going through. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not, and this is why they had that sentence of death, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. His life after meeting Christ on the road to Damascus was never easy. It was a hard life. It was a hard service. 
He was, in, he was constantly entering into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. In Philippians 3, he says that I, his desire was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And this grace was granted to him. What he desired was granted to him. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He went through all these afflictions in his life. You can read about them in the book of Acts, and he calls them momentary, that they last for but a moment. James says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Our afflictions are momentary because our lives are a vapor. No matter what we're going through, it's not even a moment in eternity. And then we have all eternity to look forward to. The older you get, the more you realize this. When you're young, you're so far away from the end that you don't even consider it. The older you get, the more you realize how fast life goes by. You know, pretty soon you get to a place and you think, man, where does the time go? That was fast. And he calls the afflictions that he went through in this life light. To the person experiencing affliction, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or loss, it's not light, but potentially devastating. But Paul calls them light. Light compared to what? Light compared to the sufferings of Christ, the ultimate horror that was laid upon him on Calvary. Job said, for the things that I greatly feared has come upon me. The thing that I feared the most has come upon me. Mrs. Job's advice was, curse God and die. And we know, and I think in her heart, she knew that that response to the trials would close the door for any hope in the future. But she was angry because of all the things that were happening in her life. I've lost my children. We've lost our livelihood. I've lost my husband. I see him sitting there in his pile of ashes, but the person I married isn't there anymore. She was angry. And I think if you were there at that time and you wanted to encourage her and you came up to her with the scripture and you came up to her and said, Mrs. Job, uh, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you had tried to encourage her with that, she probably would have spit on the ground. She was angry. She couldn't see it. She couldn't see how it could possibly be true that all things could work for the good. All the good things, yes, we could see. But the bad things that happen in our lives, the trials, how do they ever work for the good? She couldn't believe it. But as Christians, even though we can't imagine how all things worked for the good, we believe those words. If those words aren't true, then we're wasting our time here. We could have stayed home in bed this morning. But for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, for those who have been made children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, all things do work together for good. All things, the blessings and those things which we fear the most that may come upon us. Everything works to the good because of our Heavenly Father. In John 9.1, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, is this man <coughs> excuse me, or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. They wanted to know, why, was, why did this happen to this man? Why was this man born blind? And Jesus said, he was born blind. This trial came upon him so that the works of God could be revealed in him. They wanted to know whose sin, this man or, was his, or his parents, whose fault is it that this man is going through this trial? And this has always been a common misconception, that if some affliction befalls us, it's because God is punishing us for some area of sin or failure in our life. Job's so-called comforters accused him of this. They told him, all this affliction is the result of your sin. I had a good friend who died from cancer, and he suffered terribly. The treatment was worse than the disease, and he had issues in his life, but the thing that was constantly torturing him was he had this belief and this feeling that he was getting what he deserved, and it tortured him. God does not give us what we deserve. God does not punish his children for their sins. This isn't to say that there aren't consequences. If I sow to the flesh, I will reap corruption. But even in that, God, God's mercy endures. Jeremiah 3.1 says, They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not the land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return to me, says the Lord. In Sunday school, we tell the kids, there are two words that you will never hear from God. Go away. And there are two words you will always hear from God. Come closer. God, being a loving father, will correct us, but punishment condemns. That punishment that condemns, that punishment that gives people what they deserve was laid upon Jesus on the cross. He laid it upon his son for our sake. It says in Hosea, I will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. It doesn't say he'll punish us. It says he'll punish our sins. The punishment we deserve was laid on his son on the cross. In Romans 8.3, it says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, that is, make us perfect in the sight of God. The law could not make us perfect because it was weak, because of our flesh. What the law could not do, God did. He made us perfect in his sight by, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't condemn us. He condemned our sin. We live by his mercy. Psalm 147 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, those who hold him in awe, and those who hope in his mercy. Do we want God to delight in us? Then hope in his mercy, trust in his mercy alone. If he gave us what we deserve, there would be a pile of ashes standing behind this podium right now with a pair of glasses sitting on top. It's repeated over and over again, his mercy endures forever. What does his mercy endure? It endures time and it endures me. Job said, that which I feared the most has come upon me. And again, if you're on the prayer chain or you talk to people, you see the, some of the afflictions that people in the body are experiencing, and it's overwhelming. Sometimes you hear what people are going, for, going through, and we don't even know how to pray, what to pray for. And it testifies of the priority and the importance of prayer. 
There is no ministry more important than prayer, individual prayer and corporate prayer. And as we go deeper and deeper into the end times, prayer will be the most important ministry for the saints. We see the trials of Job, and we see the afflictions experienced by those around us, and we wonder, will that happen to me? Will what I fear, what I dread, will it ever happen to me? All the what-ifs. What if something happens to my wife? What if something happens to my husband? What if something happens to my kids or my health? Job 5.7 says, Man is born in trouble as the sparks lift upward. John 16.33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, are there storms on our horizon for each one of us? Unfortunately, yes. To some degree, surely to a, hopefully to a lesser degree, the trials of Job will somehow be experienced by all. It's all part of life under the sun. It comes along with life. Jesus said, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So we trust in the Lord and don't fear. Philippians 4.6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is a commandment, just like do not steal, do not lie, do not murder, do not be anxious for anything. Let God take care of you. You know, we tell the kids that that's what living a life of faith means. You let God take care of you. And the question always is, when something comes in, when a storm comes into our lives, the question we always ask is, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to this person over here? Job, in his affliction, became depressed and despondent. He even asked, why was I ever even born? But he was able to look beyond what he felt or saw. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We live by faith, not by sight, and definitely not by feelings. And Job never accused God of doing wrong. The disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Because of his sin, his parents' sin, and we know that death came into the world through sin, the original sin in the garden and the accumulated sin of the fall of humanity. But they wanted to know, whose, whose fault is this, that this man was, is, has been born blind? And Jesus answered, no, it's not his sin, it's not his parents' sin. This is because that the works of God may be revealed in him. When the works of God are revealed in a person, then God is glorified. And when people see that, people live. I know a woman who was, who was quite elderly now, and she's suffering all the ailments that come along with old age. Her husband suffered for a long period with a debilitating physical affliction and passed away. Her son was murdered during a robbery attempt in the city. And right now, she's in church every Sunday in her seat, <coughs> praising and worshiping the Lord, serving in the church, praying for people. She never stops serving the body as a prayer, prayer warrior. 
She has never accused God of wrongdoing. People look at her life and they're amazed and they wonder, why hasn't she been destroyed by these events? Why is she still in church? The work of God is revealed in her. All things work together for good. We don't know why tragedy happens. When something happens, you know, the worst things could happen, and we wonder why. Why did this happen? And in this lifetime, we probably would never, will never know why. But the day will come when we will know. And when that day comes, we will actually thank God that it happened. I remember the example of the works of God being revealed in someone's life. A long time ago, I read an article in the paper about a woman who was caring for her three-year-old granddaughter. And this woman was totally blind caring for a three-year-old. And the reporter asked her, how do you do it? How can you possibly do this? Care for this rambunctious kid and you're blind. And she said, I trust God for every step. The works of God are revealed in her. We know people with developmental disabilities who have received that childlike faith that Jesus said is absolutely necessary for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. And these folks are serving in the church. The works of God are revealed in them. We know people with, with debilitating mental illness, yet they're in church every Sunday, worshiping the Lord, praying for others, living their lives totally by faith, definitely not by feelings. The work of God is revealed in them, and God is glorified in them. People, there are some people that the world looks at and labels them as handicapped or disabled. God looks at them and looks at them and, and calls them chosen, given a greater faith that the works of God may be revealed in them. Men and women who have lost husbands and wives, parents who have lost children, and yet are able to stand and testify, it is well with my soul because of the reality of their hope in Christ. The work of God is revealed either by healing or sustaining us, keeping us by the God of all comfort for his greater purpose, worked out in our lives by all things. When we get to the end of our lives and we're standing before the Lord, there's one thing that every Christian wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I heard someone say, in order to hear well done, you would have had to do something, which is true. And if anyone ever heard those words, it would be Paul the Apostle. So who gets to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Those who have been faithful stewards of what the Lord has given them. And I'm sure, as I said, that the Apostle Paul heard those words. But it's interesting what he said in 2 Timothy 4.7. He said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Certainly, Paul heard those words, well done. Why did he hear them? Was it because of all the work that the Lord did through him? Was it because of all the evangelizing, all setting up all the churches in the world, writing most of the New Testament? What is the reason he says he will receive the crown of glory and hear those words, well done? It says, because I kept the faith. Simply, I kept the faith. Who will hear Jesus say, well done? Those whom, in spite of all the trials, in spite of all the heartache, all the affliction, 
and failures that threaten to tear them away, Jesus will say to them, you never left me. You didn't walk away in bitterness and anger and unbelief. In the end, you were found with me. You kept the faith. We prepare for every conceivable tragedy. We have car insurance, life insurance, home insurance. I read an article where wealthy people are building bunkers and stocking them with food and weapons because of what they feel is what storm is coming. We prepare for every conceivable tragedy. How do we prepare for those Job-like afflictions that are sure to come? How did Job, I believe, pre prepare for what he had no idea was coming? How do we prepare for sickness, loss of a loved one, emotional pain? Can we prepare for these things? We can, by getting as close to Jesus now as we can, clinging to him now before the storm hits. So when the storm does hit, we don't have to wonder where is God and are less apt to despondently ask why. Being in unbroken fellowship with Jesus today is an anchor we can hold on to when a storm does hit our lives. Who knows what will happen in the future, but our prayer should be, Lord, if a storm hits, I pray to be found with you. We know we are found in Christ, but we want to pray that we are found with him. So when a storm does hit and we suffer loss, how do we deal with it? The quick answer is we don't. There's an old saying, the Lord never gives us more than we can handle. I don't believe that's true. Anything allowed in our lives is always more than we can handle. I can't even handle a common cold most of the time. Second Corinthians says, Paul speaking of himself, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Talk about a mountaintop experience, going up to third heaven and hearing words that's not lawful for people to utter. Second Corinthians 12.7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, so that my head didn't get big, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul was sick. A lot of people believe that he had a form of malaria that caused blindness and severe headaches. <clears throat> According to some people, Christians aren't supposed to get sick. And if you have enough faith, you can just claim a healing. The Apostle Paul was sick, and the Lord said, No, I'm not going to heal you. The works of God are going to be revealed in you through this affliction. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for you. Grace. We all know the definition of grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. Someone writing a long time ago, excuse me, someone writing a long time ago wrote this, grace does not reward man's ability or his effort. Grace is absolute. It does it all. Therefore, the creature must stop trying to earn grace 
so as to persuade God to give grace. Grace does not help us in our time of need. Grace does it all. And it does it all in spite of us. It even does it all in spite of how we respond to the storm. Many times in our lives when we're going through a trial or hardship, we pray, Lord, help me. A good prayer, pray it a lot. Lord, help me. But Lord, help me is not the cry of somebody praying, Lord, will you give me a hand with this? I'll get this end and you lift the other end and we can take care of this. It's not a Lord, you know, help me with this. Lord, help me. That's not grace. It's the prayer, Lord, help me, is the cry of someone who is drowning and can't swim. It's a prayer of desperation and weakness. Then his grace is sufficient for us. If you want a good, defini de good definition of grace, um, Google A Few Thoughts on Grace by William Newell. In it he wrote that there is a great secret that those under grace must discover. And this is true. This secret is the key to literally everything having to do with our Christianity. Obtaining salvation, being born again, serving the Lord, getting through storms, prayer, anything you can think of having to do with our Christian walk is summed up in this definition, this key. That great secret is, and I wrote this in my Bible because I have to refer to it a lot, that great secret is to consent to be loved while unworthy. That is the secret to everything having to do with our Christianity. And it's a good definition of grace. So the Lord said to Paul, I'm not going to heal you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. How can strength be made perfect in weakness? How can we be strong when we're so aware of our weakness? Only if our strength is coming from somewhere outside of ourselves. With the kids, we were talking about in Sunday school about storms coming into people's lives. So you got to bear with me and pretend you're like six, year old, six years old now. Uh, so I told them this story. There's two kids. They're both believers. They're both Christians. One lives in the land of soft fluffies. And these soft fluffies are these cute little creatures that come out and they purr and they rub up against your leg and you can squeeze them and, you can, and it just makes you feel good. The other kid lives in the land of biters. Biters are these ugly little creatures with sharp teeth that come out and bite your ankles. Given a choice, which would you choose? Land of soft fluffies or the land of biters to live in? You know, and I'm thinking, well, if I can have my salvation and live in the land of soft fluffies, I'll take soft fluffies any day of the week. I prefer comfort to trauma. But if you think about it, which one of these kids feels weakest? Which one prays more? Which one is in a place where their only option is to live by faith? Because of all these things, which one of these kids is ultimately closer to Jesus? So ultimately, and in reality, which place is better? Land of the Biters, yes. It's not that we don't have sweet fellowship with Christ on the soft, fluffy days, but on the happy, soft, fluffy days, I find that I don't pray as much, and I don't pray as earnestly or as fervently. We love the soft, fluffy days, but the Biters are out there for a reason, and it's not to destroy us. It's so we can lay hold on eternal life. 
Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In Luke 9, 1, it says, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. If I was there and heard this, I would think, man, we're going to have to be doing a lot of walking. Lord, you know I have a bad hip, and you're saying I can't even bring my cane with me? And what about my fallen arches? I can't bring my arch supports? I would be complaining. And Jesus said to them, bring nothing with you. Bring nothing with you. Faith grows and blossoms by our time in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the Bible says. It also blossoms by experience. When we believe what God says, step out in faith, and we find that his word is true, and that he is everything that the Bible says he is. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Only the poor can live by faith. The rich have too many other options. The works of God are revealed in the poor. When we desire to serve the Lord in all circumstances, when we desire to step out and serve the Lord, whether we're going through trials or tribulations, we bring only two things with us, weakness and need. In Matthew, it says, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And Lucas says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. He said to him, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, and I'm going to let him. I have chosen you for a higher purpose that the works of God may be revealed in you. But first you have to learn that my grace is sufficient and that my strength is made perfect in weakness, not your own effort, not your own strength. So if you suffered loss, if you're feeling like you're being sifted like wheat because of the storms in your life, you have been chosen for a higher purpose, that the works of God may be revealed in you by his grace. Paul would go on to say, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 4.18 While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, and experienced are temporary, but the things which are not seen are, are eternal. Romans 4.18 speaking of Abraham, the man of faith, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. The thought that all things work together for good is sometimes contrary to hope. It's beyond our comprehension. But in hope, we believe. Revelations 2.14 And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow or crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We started with Job saying, that which I feared the most has come upon me. And we'll end with Job saying, after all his trials, or because of his trials, 
I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I know my Redeemer lives. We're going to take communion this morning. And just like, so we remember what our Lord has done for us. May our strength, our grace,